Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. I am your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as guest co-host this week, Jessica Singer's here. Oh, that burp was weak. Hi. Uh, you were <laughs> I tried trying, to burp right when you. You're trying to do a comedy burp? I mean, I felt one coming anyway, so I was like, if I can get this timing right. In editing, I'll see if I can, like, amplify please, the volume or something. Please don't. Just make it, like, the loudest <laughs> thing on this podcast. Put in just a fake burp that's really loud and then have my reaction be like, oh, man, that wasn't that loud. <laughs> Jessica, how's it going? You've, I'm good. You've I'm been good. on this podcast before. People know who you are. Yeah. Hi, people. And non-people. <laughs> <laughs> we are covering a documentary I had zero knowledge or information about going into this. I picked it because it's short and I needed to record a bunch of episodes ahead of time. And then one thing led to another and I did not get this one recorded ahead of time. <laughs> But now here we are covering missing the Lucy Blackman case. I just realized it's almost a month later. Yeah, it's been quite a bit of time since we initially planned. Because I was trying to record to cover for a trip out of town. And I wanted to have everything for this week, the week I was back, recorded Mm. also. And that did not happen. I got like one thing recorded for this week. Well, in the time that we've... But not talking about this, it has become a trending thing on Netflix. Like, everyone's watching it. This documentary, you mean? Yeah, it's on, like, if you look at, like, what's trending on Netflix, it's there. Yeah, I had no prior knowledge of this case at all. It seems like it was only a big deal in, like, Europe. Yeah. Or maybe even just England, and then also Japan, kinda. Well, and then wasn't one of them from Australia as well? One of the eventual victims victims was from Australia, too, yeah. But it covers the case of Lucy Blackman. She was 21. She's from the UK and was working in Japan at the time as a hostess at a bar. And that means a very different thing than what it means in the United States. Well, it's kind of like a bottle service girl. A little bit. Like, I know it's a little different, but that's like the closest thing, I think, in the States to what a hostess is in Japan. Yeah, it's, I mean, we'll get into it a little more in a bit, but her dad at one point gets this mysterious phone call saying that his daughter has gone missing. And he's like, well, how do you know she's missing? And they're just like, she's missing, dude. You might want to come check it out. And like right up top, they talk about this maybe being a cult thing. Mm -hmm. That was exciting. But also they mentioned maybe it's a sexual predator. That's less exciting, but also why not both? They that seems I like mean, a, a Venn diagram le- that overlaps. Yeah, a lot of cult leaders, you know. They do like to assault in a sex way also. It's a power thing. It's yeah. all a power thing. It's a perk of the job as a cult leader, <laughs> honestly. So Lucy, it seems like she was just fascinated by Japanese culture and wanted to go travel there, but travel in a way where she's like going to hang out for a a while and work and whatnot. And this is like the early aughts too. It's like, what year does it start? Like 2002? 2000. 2000. Okay. I thought it was 2002 for some reason. Oh, it says. 
sorry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot of ways to find people in the year 2000. Yeah, it's not like it is now. There's not going to be a social media trail, phone yeah. records. This was just kind of the cusp of phone records being a thing that break murder cases because a lot of people, whenever there's a big wave of new technology, a lot of times it ends up getting people arrested. Like when yeah. the internet first became a thing, there were so many people who didn't realize, well, the cops can see what you were searching on the internet. And if you're like Googling how to best kill my wife, the police are going to see that if your wife goes missing. And phone records were the same thing. There were so many people in the early 2000s who ended up getting arrested for crimes, mostly because they didn't realize, even if you're not on your cell phone, it's pinging off different towers and giving your location away. And this crime happens just kind of on the cusp of that. Yeah. And then they also talk about, this is why I was thinking about it being 2000 as well. They were saying that it was super trendy to go work in Japan. Oh, yeah. And like, go live in Japan. Is that, I don't have a real big worldwide memory from 2000. Do you remember a lot of people going to Japan in 2000? Not really. Or maybe it was more of a European thing. Yeah. I don't, like, I was a dirtbag in 2000. Like, and by that, I mean, I was too poor to like, know anything about other people traveling to Japan. Sure. I was just curious. I do remember at one point in the 2000s, back when Jason Sudeikis was still on SNL. Yeah. He had a skit he did with, I don't remember who the girl was, but she was also obviously an SNL cast member. And it was them doing a Japanese culture show from their dorm room. I remember that. That was, for one, very fucking funny. And I'm sure that was inspired by something that was happening at that time. Yeah, maybe the way like um, Korean stuff and K-pop has blown up in the last few years. That was like a Japan blow up in the early 2000s. I was just curious because it really like it shows news people being like, I'm in Japan. It's so trendy. Pokemon. So I was just curious if that was real. Yeah, it must have been like I trust him. But yeah, I never got swept up in that. Although I have always (laughs) wanted to go to Japan. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, maybe after this talk, just like don't work there, but don't. Well, I mean, even if you work there, just don't hop in a strange dude's car and go to his apartment by the seaside. You know, bro, that's that's a risk. That's a risk. Yeah. So the first sign of trouble seems like it comes from her landlord who is unable to contact her for a few days. And as a good landlord, he reaches out to her father and is like, hey, something's going on. And. He contacts police on July 3rd, 2000. That's when the landlord calls police. And this is the point where they bring up gaijin, which is, there's a lot of definitions of it, but it generally refers to foreigners in Japan who are of non-East Asian descent. And Lucy was that. So the police immediately contact a local reporter who is also that. His name is Jake. And there's lots of interviews with cops in this. Just a reminder, ACAB does include Japan also. What do we think of her dad, Tim? He's a character. Like, not he's not all that flamboyant, but he's got, they bring it up in the documentary. He's got a fucking personality on him. Yeah. I, 
I was like still figuring out how I felt about him at the end of the documentary. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know because he's just like he. They must be really rich, right? Oh, clearly, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like they don't talk about how rich he is, but he really acts like a rich guy. But also, (laughs) yeah, he's got rich guy energy, but also when the family puts together a reward for Lucy, it's like $10,000. Oh, I didn't even connect that. You're right. Probably not that rich. Like, Lucy had enough money to just uproot her life and move to Japan, but she also had to work while she was there. Yeah, he was just very quick to, like... I don't know. I don't know. Because I do think my family would act similarly and try to do everything they could. But he was just so over the top with it. But then it's like, well, it's for his daughter. Yeah. Normally, I would be bothered by a rich white dude showing up in Japan and being like, well, I know this is how you do it in Japan, but I need you to do things different. Well, I don't even, I guess he was kind of doing that, but he was also like, well, they're not giving me any information because that's how their police system works is they don't give out any information. So I need to do my full on investigation because I don't know if they're doing their due diligence. Yeah, that's, that's the second half of what I was going to say. In this case, it's like the police have this culture of not really investigating crimes related to white people or foreigners who are not of East Asian descent. So in that case, someone's got to go in and be like, no, you need to fucking look into this shit. And that's what he does. Like he Mm -hmm. uses his, they call it charisma in the documentary, but just his personality, like his showmanship, whatever you want to call it. But he uses that to make this case a bigger deal than it would have been. So in that way, I, I got no problems with Tim. His heart was in the right place. Oh, yeah. I just, I wouldn't want to, like, work customer service for Tim, but, like, I respect him as a father. Well, I wouldn't want to get a customer service call from Tim. (laughs) Maybe that's why it was hard for me, because I've, like, done those, you know, and I'm just like, I have just, I've talked to so many men like him um, in a not pleasant manner, but as a dad, he's doing a good job, I think, and that's kind of the most important thing. I did like the moment where he mentions telling the cops or asking the cops if they've looked into like security camera footage. That was interesting. And they're like, oh, we don't fuck with those here for like privacy reasons. And he's like, I live in England. There's a security camera on every corner and you make them. So I guess that was just a good point he made because nothing comes of it. But it is interesting that they're, they do like produce a significant number of those cameras and it seems like it's probably still not a big thing in Japan. Yeah, and I was definitely under um the impression that they did use those. Yeah. So that was um I mean maybe they do now. This probably is 20 now. years ago. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm never going to get mad at a country for not having enough surveillance cameras. Of yeah, no. <laughs> like even now when I bring up how fucking invasive like ring doorbells and things are. And people are like, well, what about this one case that was solved with them? And it's like, that's the outlier, man. Like that, that doesn't make us not a surveillance state because Mm -hmm. of Amazon. But hey, that's, that's for another time. So the British (laughs) press ends up picking up on this and big difference between the Japanese press and the British press. Japanese press does not engage in speculation and That's kind of all the British press does. 
Like, you can't wear yeah. a pink shirt without them being like, is he gay then? In it. In it. Like, their press is a fucking nightmare. But in this case, it kind of helps because it gives them a story to latch on to and to speculate wildly about, which gives it some international attention. Yeah, and if you don't take a moment to speculate, like, everyone's memory is so short-term, like, it, it'll just disappear into the news and the, into the news stream, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know anything about this case, so what you're saying is absolutely correct, because I fucking yeah, know about exactly. everything. Yeah. And so they're speculating on maybe it's a sex cult, maybe it's a religious cult, maybe she was just plain old-fashioned sex trafficked. <laughs> Brits are p- pushing every possible theory, and it works. It compels the Japanese authorities to be like, fine, we'll investigate. <laughs> Which it seems like they really did not want to. Well, because I think, I mean, this is just me speculating, knowing nothing, but it's like, at like they were talking about at the time, Japan had this, like, um, you know, everyone thought of it as like a very clean, safe place where like they say like you could leave your wallet on the subway and you'd get it back if you went back on like it just a very like crime free and it's like honey if you can't see the stuff that's wrong the stuff that's wrong is very bad yeah so the first place police focus their investigation is an area called Rapongi, which is where lucy worked as a hostess she worked at a club there called casablanca which uh, I believe translates to White House, if I'm not mistaken. Dumb. So Rapongi, there's a bunch of these clubs in this area. Like that refers more to the area where all of these bars are. Casablanca is the one she worked at. And as we mentioned earlier, hostess is not quite the same thing. I think you're right that like bottle service girl is the closest yeah, because you're like helping, you're um, elevating their experience at the club. Right. So you're like the hot girl that is drinking with them and partying with them. But also, if you need anything, I'll grab it for you. It's right. like the ultimate. And Aww. yeah, you just kind of like hang out. I feel like this might be depicted in the film Lost in Translation. Oh, you know, I almost rewatched that recently. And I bet you're right. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I think that's where I'm familiar with this from maybe yeah i gotta watch that again too i fucking love that movie is it sofia coppola yep i should rewatch it before i go see priscilla yeah it's sofia coppola and i think it's based on her time in japan with spike jones oh interesting yeah so (laughs) she's a hostess no matter where you have me i'm gonna talk about movies (laughs) (laughs) they also bring up dohan which is a thing where you kind of go outside your hostess duties and maybe have dinner with the customer first and then escort them to the club. And that is described in this as sort of the sketchier side of hosting because then, I mean, I guess prostitution is one way you could go, but my first thought is, oh, that's a great way to get abducted and sexually assaulted and murdered. Well, and they talk about how the regular hostessing is about $50 an hour, which 20 years ago, wow. Yeah, damn, 50, now. 
Now that would be like $100 an hour. Everything yeah. has doubled. I bet if that was already good money, you got fucking good tips for taking them out to dinner beforehand. Oh, sure. And so I could see the temptation and wanting to do that because you're like, well, I don't technically owe them anything and I'm getting free dinner and probably hundreds of dollars. Yeah. It, I mean, it makes sense. Like it's especially if it still does not involve like sex. It's still just like companionship. Yeah, but you don't have the protection of Casablanca. Right. Or whatever and, club you're working at. And also, you know those dudes are like, yeah, it's not about sex, but I am a nice guy who's giving you all this money, so... Well, and every guy with money thinks they're the special one that's like, I know you don't usually do this. Right, right. But, but look how, like you said, I'm price. a nice guy. Look how charming I am. I will give you anything you want. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Whatever. And... I like the scene around this time. The police start investigating. The first suspect they come up with is a guy who like frequented this Rapongi area all the time. But also, like they said, he had an alibi. But I also get the sense that that is the guy who they end up coming back to. But because otherwise they had no reason to even fucking mention mm-hmm. that this guy mm-hmm. was involved. But around this time, speaking of Tim, her dad showing up and telling the cops in Japan how to do their business, he's going around putting up missing flyers with his daughter's face on them. And someone apparently complains. Like, I don't know if that's what happened or if the cop just saw him doing it and decided Mm -hmm. to approach him. But either way, this cop is like, well, yeah, you can put those signs up, but you can't do it here. And Tim just like, puts his arms out in the handcuff me gesture and is like, well, arrest me then. Like, I'm not taking these posters down. And the cop just walks away because Japan is so polite. <laughs> but I did, like, I I don't know. I feel like most dads would do that same thing. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, uh, yeah, I think so too. If nothing else, I'd be like, you go take him down. You go be the monster who doesn't want people to see my missing daughter's face Yeah, in the wrong part of town. It's weird. Well, this was, they have footage of it too, right? Yes. Was it there? So like, you can't do that on camera. No, no. Yeah. Without the camera, he probably would have gotten whatever the equivalent of getting shot in Japan is. I don't know. Like <laughs> punched in the chest. Like you got to build your own guns to shoot a motherfucker in Japan. We know that. I mean, I don't, I'm just saying we don't know how he would have been treated if the camera wasn't there. <laughs> like the guy who assassinated Shinzo Abe had to build a comically ridiculous looking gun. Really? To do it. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like bathroom parts. Gnarly. Did the job though. So the G7 summit was happening in Japan the same year Lucy went missing and Because this story was already big news in England, Tim is able to get in then Prime Minister Tony Blair's ear, who is a fucking war criminal, by the way. But Tony Blair comes to the G7 and is like, hey, Japan, how about you solve this case, innit? And they're like, all right, tea, governor. Fancy that. It's exactly what they said. It's crazy how you remember that. Yeah, they tra- the translation was weird. Like, that's not how a British person normally talks. But when you translate it from Japan, it was fine. Tea, governor, fancy that. Strange. Very strange. Wild. But that also kind of works. Like, there's even cops they interview in this who are like, well, a lot of pressure on us at that point. Now we got the whole international community breathing down our necks. 
And they do end up launching a pretty big investigation. Like a hundred detectives are involved in it. Yeah. When they're like, it's usually four or five. <laughs> yeah. Which I know that might sound like decent numbers, but people listening, you got to take into account how big Japan is yeah. and how big Tokyo is. Yeah. I think they said there's something like 27 million people in Tokyo. No. All right. Now, now I got to Google it. That just sounds like too many. Oh, it's but way could, too many people. You could be right. You could definitely be right. Sorry. As of 2021, it is a modest 13.96 million people. I mean, that's half as many, Adam. <laughs> that's half as many. Well, that's probably also only taking Tokyo proper into account. But any city that big is going to have like yeah, the surrounding. Yeah. What I'm Word. getting at, Tokyo is huge. Yeah, that's still fucking huge. And four people on a missing person's case is probably not enough. Mm -mm. But in this case, they launch a huge investigation. One of the detectives, his name is Junichiro Kuku. He is what they call a supan detective, which means he's a detective who is not going to let go of a lead. He's not going to be deterred in doing a thorough investigation he decides to go back to the start of the case and just look at all the reports, everything that's been filed. And he's checking this initial report and sees that someone told one of the detectives that there are reports that a guy for years has been taking women working as hostesses and driving them to remote locations under the guise of it being like a date, a Dohan thing, mm -hmm. and then drugging them and presumably raping them. And this first detective who gets this report is like, ah, but the guy who told me isn't that trustworthy. And this, this detective Junichiro is like, are you kidding me? Like you at least got to look into that a little bit, even if you don't completely trust the person who's telling you wild, but that's also such cop shit. Yeah. Like policing on a hunch is a problem for a reason. And yeah, because it leads to shit like that where you're like, yeah, this guy gave me a good tip, but also he's poor. And so I don't really believe anything he says, especially if he's accusing of a rich person. of something. Yeah, because this guy had to have had a lot of money. I feel like they don't get into how rich he is. Oh, they do. Because they, 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 oh. they mention at one point that he inherited like millions That's and millions. Right. That's right. He's old money. He has his dad's money. Yeah. I remember now. And he owns a bunch of properties, has a bunch of luxury cars. So That's right. A, I remember now. My bad. Yeah, he's he's a rich, he's, you know, it's a lot like L.A. He's just a fucking rich kid whose parents' money are financing his dreams. But instead of his dreams being stand-up comedy, he just wants to rape foreigners and get away with it. And he does for a long, 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 long time. Bro. You know, it's weird to think about. I have this somewhere in the notes, but you kind of have to think of this the same way as you do undocumented workers in the United States where it's like, Oh, well, how would this guy get away with doing this hundreds and hundreds of times? It's because a lot of times the women working in these hostess jobs overstay their visa mm -hmm. and are technically in Japan illegally, mm -hmm. which makes them very vulnerable when it comes to contact with law enforcement. And if you go on a date with this rich Japanese dude, and wake up hours later realizing you've probably been raped. If you call the cops, 
they're going to be like, oh, well, that sucks. But also we're going to arrest you for being in the country illegally. And we're obviously going to deport you. Yeah. And then, like you said, the guy you're accusing is a rich man with power. Right. And you're like, uh, I mean, compared to him, like a poor also woman. So like less of a person that's going to be listened to. And they're undocumented or like, quote unquote, illegally. Yeah. And so this detective looks into this and finds, sure enough, there are a bunch of reports of women claiming they had been assaulted by this one same guy. And it goes back years and years and years. And it turns out this guy has a really simple M.O. It's exactly what we just said. He meets these women working as hostesses. He's like, hey, you want to go on a date to my fucking fancy apartment a few miles away? And they're like, sure. And he drugs them and rapes them. It's just that he was like just doing it with zero fucking ramifications. Like the number of victims he ends up having to his name is nuts. It's like he had to be doing this like every week. Yeah, for a long time. And so this is where the family ends up putting out a reward of 1.5 million yen. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of money. And then I looked it up. That's like 10 grand. So that's the point where I was like, yeah, this family's probably got some money, but I don't know that rich would be the exact right way to describe them. I mean, anyone who can just come up off 10 grand is rich to me, but in the big scheme of things, not really. No, it's not even in like the top 10% type of thing, but something. The dad definitely carries himself like he's never been poor. I'll say that. Yeah. And- (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. It seems like the authorities in Japan didn't like that. They did not like him issuing this reward because they felt it was going to hinder the investigation. And I think they just didn't want extra attention on the fact that they weren't getting anywhere with this investigation. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not even that they weren't getting anywhere. It's like wherever they're getting, they're not also letting him know. Right. So he also sets up his own hotline for tips, which they also don't like. It's like, well, then tell him something. Right? Like, he's like, I I feel like if, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I feel like if I were to have a kid and something like this was happening and I wasn't getting any information, I would just try to do shit on my own, too. Because yeah. you don't, what do you do, trust the police? <laughs> Even in 2000, get over yourself, trust in the police. And so, oh, yeah. meanwhile, Lucy's been missing for 62 days by this point. So, of course, he's going to start looking into this. The Japanese police start talking to some of the girls who reported being assaulted by this guy. And one girl, Jessie from Australia, she wrote down the guy's name and number in her notebook, but then got so angry she crossed it out in her notebook. But police in Japan are still able to read what was underneath all that crossed out scribbles. Yuji Honda, 030-256-3301. Should we try and call him now? Live on the pod? See what Do he it. Gets. See what he's got to say for himself? Fucking do it. Police get these phone records. They check the numbers that are called from them. And sure enough, one of the numbers it called belonged to Lucy Blackman. So now they have confirmed contact between Lucy and the guy who they suspect maybe did it. And they eventually traced the call to Lucy to a really exclusive and expensive part of Tokyo they talk to the apartment manager and he's like, yeah, guy is weird and rich. He <laughs> drives a lot of fancy foreign cars. He never says hi. 
He always hides his face. He always keeps his head down. That was yeah. interesting. And so now police are like, all right, that's probably our guy, but we can't really prove it. So the investigation kind of hits a wall until another girl comes forward, Monica from England. And she agrees to talk about this guy who raped her. She says his name was Koji. He drove her to an apartment in a resort type area. That's where the assault happened. So the guy doing this is confirmed to be very rich. Is this the woman also that makes the palm trees statement? Oh, I don't. Where what she's was the like palm trees. Oh, statement? she was like, I don't remember a lot, but I know there were palm trees there. Oh, and that's why when they're like, oh, palm trees are only in this like by this one fancy place. Yeah, and how they like narrow it down because I'm like, if you said that in LA, that could be anywhere, but I think that made it really specific for the them to find him. Yeah, I love when a true crime case turns on shit like that. Because that really is the kind, like, even a really good criminal, that's the kind of shit they don't think of. I watched mm-hmm. an episode, I think it was Forensic Files. This dude, I believe he lived in California. He flew to Ohio for work, rented a car, drove it all the way back to California to murder his wife, and then drove it all the way back to Ohio. So when the police came knocking, he was like, Bitch, I was in Ohio the whole time. What do you mean? I Check killed- the mileage on the rented car or what? They not only checked the mileage, but also there were bugs in the grill of the car that were not native to either part, to either California or Ohio. Oh, so that's... That's how they ultimately got him. Because he could have just been like, yeah, man, I did 2,000 miles worth of driving in Ohio. He also could have just taken the car through a car wash. Yeah, yeah. But that's the kind of shit. He thought about driving out of state, but did not think about running the car through a car wash. I think maybe he even did, but the car wash. But they're like in the grill. Yeah, they're like stuck in the grill. (laughs) I I love shit like that. Yeah, but yeah, the palm trees thing really caught my ear. Well, and they showed visual of it. And yeah, I, I would imagine if someone says, oh, I don't know where it was, but palm trees, like if you're in Japan, you are gonna be like, oh, okay, yeah. The one place with palm trees then. Easy enough. Exactly. Also, how did palm trees get there? Was it a movie thing? Like how Catalina Island has buffalo? Probably. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know, man. None of the stuff that's here belongs here. No, including me. (laughs) (laughs) And so a waitress at this resort says she recognizes Lucy as having been there at one point. And they finally get a name for this guy, Obara. And... That is the name of a man who lived in this luxury condo building. But also earlier, the apartment that they traced the Lucy phone call to, the apartment was rented under the name Plant Orihara. And that sounds unrelated, but depending on what system of writing you're using, Obara and Orihara are the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just a different translation of the same word. And they finally focus on a guy named Joji Obara in apartment A310, if you're keeping score at home. Turns out he was previously arrested for disguising himself as a woman and filming video in women's restrooms, which, why did you think the disguise was going to make a difference? Yeah, you just can't bring a camera in a restroom. Yeah, like if I walk... Because it's 2000, it's not like a little phone. <laughs> no. It's like probably... a camcorder. It has to be like a... Fucking shoulder. shoulder. 
He's got lighting set up, and he's like, don't worry, I'm abroad. It's fine. I'm just like you. <laughs> I'm just another lady here to do the thing where we take films <laughs> in a public restroom. Can you leave the stall door open, please? Like, yeah, if I walked in a bathroom and a dude was filming, I'd be like, oh, it's fine. You're a dude. If yeah, this the was disguise a woman. would be the least of my concerns. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so it turned out he was arrested for that. And not only that, but he like refused to take a mug shot, <laughs> which is the most rich person shit I've ever heard. They were like, he would not turn his head. I'm like, fucking make him. That he wouldn't turn his head. And when we finally see his mug shot, his eyes are closed and he's like looking down like he's a baby eating a lemon for the first time. That's exactly what he looks like. And the cops are just like, all right, I guess that's the best picture we're going to get. Thank you for your time, rich man. And he like gets away with that shit. So money, man, money's wild. Money and being a man is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as much as the American justice system is said to be and very much is skewed against people of color, it's bigger than that. It's skewed against poor people. Yeah. Like if we you're just created a, a system in which those overlap. Yeah. Like yeah. if you go into the American court system as a poor white person, you're going to get a couple breaks that your yeah. poor black and brown counterparts are not going to get, but you're ultimately going to get fucked pretty bad too. Yeah. There's a moment in the staircase. Have you ever seen the staircase? I think twice. <laughs> Cause, well, I'm that, a man- Cause I'm a maniac. <laughs> there's that moment where he's talking to his lawyer about some test that they need to have done. And he's like, what's that going to cost? And the lawyer's like, eh, about 25,000. And he's like, all right, that's fine. And then he sits there silently for a minute and just looks up and goes, what do poor people do in this situation? It's like, Mm -hmm. buddy, that is the million dollar question when it comes Mm -hmm. to the American justice system is what do you do if you don't have the money to fight? And the answer is you go to prison, which very bad times, which is the other reason I'm never going to get mad at someone like Tim, like showing up and throwing his fucking weight around in a situation like this. Like someone needs to fight for Lucy. Well, and if he didn't, who knows if any of this would have been uncovered and how many more women would have been hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And so they put together a huge photo lineup with his silly ass mugshot being one of the photos. And even with his face all scrunched up, they're like, oh, that's the guy, obviously. So the police don't really have enough to pin Lucy's murder on him, but they arrest him anyway, because there's something going on clearly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they describe him at this point as a playboy who inherited a bunch of money from his father, of course. And it's like, is he a playboy or just a rapist? Playboy, I associate with someone who does a lot of consensual fucking because he's rich. And this is not what that was whatsoever. Fucking James Bond is a borderline playboy, also bordering on sexual assaultist. Well... Yeah, I just was thinking of Hugh Hefner and all the abuse that went on at the Playboy Mansion. And I'm like, I think all Playboys might have kind of been abusing power and we've been looking at it through a different lens. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Hugh Hefner. That's so goddamn gross. I used to work for Playboy and oh man, do I hate Hugh Hefner. He's so gross. I didn't know until after I left Playboy about all the Marilyn Monroe weirdness and how they like never actually met. 
and he was just obsessed with her and bought the burial plot next to her. Or I think someone actually clarified. I think the burial plot is on top of hers because I think she's in a mausoleum and he's like above her. Weird. Either um, way, get the fuck away from Marilyn Monroe, you goddamn creep. Yeah, I was a child watching the show, The Girls Next Door, and being like, this seems fun and cute. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that show when it was on, too. And Yeah. Oh, man. That's like the era where I went to the Playboy Mansion. on. That makes Halloween. sense. It was seemed really fun and cool and hip. Yeah. And in retrospect, gross. And I knew you were going to say gross. I almost said gross at the same time because yeah. I knew you were going to say gross. I'm glad most of Playboy's dreams have gone down in flames over the years. All because they pretended the internet wasn't going to be a thing. That's what you get, <laughs> motherfuckers. So Obara is a Playboy slash ripist. Yes. He <laughs> owned a bunch of properties, a bunch of expensive cars. They raid his properties. And at one of them, they find this like weird metal fitting in the ceiling. And one of the cops was like, right away, I was like, what the fuck is that for? Yeah. They also find a journal where he talks about like becoming evil and how he was transforming into a monster. And let me tell you, I went to Zach Bagan's Haunted Mansion in Las Vegas, which I cannot recommend highly enough if you like creepy murder shit. Like, it's a very well-done tour. I don't know if people are expecting Zach Bagans is going to be there, but he's not. So you don't yeah. have to worry about that. But of all the crazy shit in there, the one thing that, like, completely sketched me out that the minute I looked at it, I was like, nope, shouldn't have looked at that. They had a notebook from a guy who abducted and raped and murdered women. And he would, like, meticulously document his entire day it's so crazy to think of like documenting shit like this as just a normal part of your day. Well, there's something so personal about stuff that's handwritten. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like getting very close to a person to like read their handwritten fresh. I don't like it. I get it. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was bad times. And so during the raid on his properties, they find lots and lots of videotapes, over 400 VHS tapes. Do we even need to tell people what's on them? Here's the thing. It's such a pattern that people that do these things document it. Yeah. And like want to have, like they want their history to be saved. Oh, absolutely. And their mark yeah. to be made. And the 400 VHS tapes I've been on, I've been thinking about them the whole time. I can't stop thinking about the 400 VHS tapes. Well, just think about how much space that takes. That's so many people. Yeah. Like, that's so much evidence. And, I mean, not the worst part. The worst part is what was happening on the tapes. But here's that rare moment where I feel a little sympathy for the police. Like, obviously, someone in the police department had to watch every single one of these tapes. Well, that's when they start getting women involved. That's when you start hearing about women police. Right. And I don't think the men could handle it. Right. Which that's rich. <laughs> like I get, yeah. I mean, I don't know how anyone could like handle it. It reminds me of that thing. I don't know if they still do it, but for a long time, Facebook was just using like contracted workers to monitor for abusive posts and so it was like motherfuckers showing up to a day labor place 
and being sent to Facebook. And they're like, all right, well, for the next hour and a half or so, we just need you to look at all of these videos. It's going to be like bestiality, child porn, rapes, things like that. And just tell us what stuff should and shouldn't be on Facebook. And motherfuckers came out of that with PTSD. And that is absolutely understandable. Like 100%. Who would want that job? And I feel like Facebook hired people to do it without really telling them what they were in for. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, because I doubt it was like a newspaper ad that was like, love rape. (laughs) Well, I feel like wording for jobs like that is very carefully yeah written yeah just man flag inappropriate posts like oh yeah i can do that what do you mean someone talking nazi stuff no no it's gonna be way worse than that i can't imagine having to watch just awful yeah awful and they had to go through all 400 of these tapes and it's always weird to say unfortunately in a case like this but unfortunately lucy blackman was not in any of the tapes Mm-hmm. which that always reminds me of in true crime episodes when the cops have focused in on a lead and then they get like DNA evidence that excludes that person. And they're like, mm-hmm. unfortunately he was excluded. And it's like, that means this guy's not a murderer. That's, that's not unfortunate. That's actually very, it's unfortunate for your case, but. But it's good for him and humanity. <laughs> yes, exactly. There is a quote from a detective in this where he says, when I sat down with Obara, I felt he was a very warped individual. And I'm like, oh, very astute observation, detective. It took you sitting down with the man who produced 400 plus videos of him drugging and raping women. Yeah, he's like, I don't think he had a real good grasp on reality. <laughs> I think he was a bad guy. Hey, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird I know moment. he only hurts like women, but he might be a bad guy. <laughs> Like you never, this could boil over. He could start hurting Japanese women. And then well, yeah, because that, again, that's the other thing. Part of the reason he got away with 400 of these assaults is because he was assaulting a very vulnerable group. Like that's how these monsters operate. And it's hard to think about like the daughter of a rich dude from England traveling to Japan on some eat, pray, love shit as a member of a vulnerable population, but for one woman, we mentioned that part and also very much vulnerable. Like no matter your opinion of why she's there, once she's there in that system, very vulnerable to shit like this. Well, and I think any woman alone in a foreign country at 21 years old is vulnerable. Yeah. It's the whole premise of the movie taken. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I feel like I get it. And so Obara also says everything in these videos was consensual that wild paid these women for their time and that this was all consensual. And so now police need someone who is depicted in one of these videos to come forward and be like, no, it wasn't. You know, what's crazy. He might believe it is. I could see that. Yeah. You know, cause he's like, I paid them for their time. They said they wanted to come over. I never, I never said I wasn't going to chloroform them and rape them. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him being like, well, they should have asked more questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, really. Like those yeah. kind of like, I keep wanting to say men and I'm trying to be like people. <laughs> yeah, but when you do see women involved in stuff like this, it's usually in conjunction with a dude. With a, mm-hmm. Like there's a case 
happening. I think it, I don't know if it's been resolved or the outcome, but there was a doctor in like Orange County where he and his wife are accused of basically doing this. Wow. But you almost never see it just as like a woman who's like drugging dudes and raping them. That that's not, that's just not a thing women need to do in general. Like also, never mind. (laughs) Say it. Don't worry about it. I was going to say, if you drug a dude, he can't get hard. Yeah. Well, I'm, we don't know that, do we? We should drug someone and find out. <laughs> let's drug a guy and jerk him off. But like consensually, like yeah. let's make sure we pay him for his time. <laughs> Bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube okay. only. YouTube exclusive. <laughs> YouTube only. <laughs> Not Probably even Patreon the wrong or some shit. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> So yeah, they, the women involved here are understandably hesitant to come forward. I like the part where they're like, we suspect he was using chloroform and they go through all this stuff about how the women in a lot of videos had towels over their face. And then they're like, also, we found a shit ton of chloroform in his apartment. It's like, okay, yeah, I think your chloroform hunch is correct. We can move on. There was some other stuff they found too. It was like chloroform and I don't remember. There it is. It's like, who the fuck are you, Jack the Ripper? Where are you getting yeah. ether from? Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ. Why did I say it that way? Jesus Christ, buddy. Where'd you get all this ether? <laughs> Where'd you get all this chloroform? <laughs> what are you going to do with all this chloroform, huh? What's that towel for? This dog is so sad that we've just become silly. <laughs> That's That happens a lot on this podcast. Yeah. And so... Um. In one of the videos, like I do like to highlight good police work when it happens in a true crime documentary. When they're going through all these videos, in one of the cases, they notice that this woman's hand starts like trembling really bad. And this cop is like, why the fuck's that happening? If she's unconscious, what's that all about? And he follows that lead. And it turns out it's like a sign that she had been under the effects of chloroform for a while. So, like, he maybe kept her for a few days. Ugh. Which, in that case, there was a woman named Carita who, around that time, was dropped off at a hospital. And they said, the person who dropped her off said she had food poisoning, and then he got the fuck out of there. And she ended up dying. And they never really pursued this because the police were told she had food poisoning. But when they did her autopsy they found a ton of chloroform in her system. So this cop was like, bingo, that's her in the video. And this was, this was 1992, right? Yeah. It was a while back. That's what I'm saying. So if they would have just, if, you know, Tim was, what is her name? Carita's dad. This could have stopped. It's just wild. It's just wild. How, how this happened eight years prior. Yeah. And police are able to use that video to arrest him for the, death of Carita. Yeah. But that doesn't do anything to solve Lucy's case. No. So speaking of people who commit crimes like this, like wanting to document everything and keep everything, this fucking lunatic kept all receipts. And when I say he kept his receipts, I don't mean it in the social media way where it's like, Ooh, I got proof. No, he kept all of his fucking receipts, like all of his movements throughout all of his days. He just kept receipts so they're able to like use the receipts from the day lucy went missing to figure out his movements and uh uh-oh part of those movements 
involved buying a chainsaw, cement, and a portable tent. You know, as for a fun does. weekend. Yeah. Just a fun weekend with the boys. Yeah. A home improvement <laughs> project. What of it? You know, when you're just like, let me get a chainsaw and some cement real quick. Yeah, which if you're the cashier, are you not like, what is this? Everyone's just so polite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't want to get chainsawed the fuck up either. <laughs> yeah, really. So what they suspect at that point is that she died the night of July 1st, was driven to this seaside property that Obara owned, was dismembered there, and presumably dumped somewhere around there, maybe in the ocean. And kind of substantiating their theory, neighbors complained about a bunch of loud noises coming from his apartment around that time, which that also speaks to how fucking rich this guy was. Because like anyone else would be like, well, the neighbors are going to hear this and I'm going to fucking go to prison. But the neighbors did hear it. No one said shit because this guy's, everyone there's rich. Wild. Money really can buy you so fucking much. It sure can. It definitely buy you time. Like he. <laughs> yeah. And so now police really kind of need a body to make their case. And they start searching this area around this complex. They're given one week to search, which by like, who gave them one week? They're the police. Can't they just search as long as they want? And speaking of good police work, there's a detective who has a hunch. He sees a cave nearby and is like, I bet she's in there. And he goes into this cave. There's a bunch of like debris and shit. He clears all that out, finds a bathtub in this cave that is overturned, flips it over, sees a bunch of bugs and goes, oh, those are carnivorous bugs. They are here because there is meat of some sort down there for them to eat. And sure enough, he digs a little bit and finds Lucy's body, which begs the question, what the fuck was the cement for? Like, I wonder if he thought, well, I'm just going to put her in cement and throw her in the ocean. And then it's like, yeah, fuck face. How do you carry the cement to the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was like, he bought cement and then was like, mm, this seems hard. Yeah. I'm too rich for this. I'll just bury her in that cave. He tried to hire people to do it, and they were like, no. <laughs> Come on, it's just a block of cement that I want in the ocean. He's like, I guess money can't buy me everything. I have to dig a hole and put her under a bathtub. Yeah, the, the people he asked were probably under Lucy's body in that hole, and the police were just like, ah, we found Lucy. Good enough. Yeah, Rest really. in peace, gentlemen. And so eventually Obara is charged with the abduction and murder of Lucy Blackman. He has approximately 400 victims under his belt, but they only find enough evidence to charge him with eight other crimes. He ends up getting sentenced to life for the death of Corita Ridgeway, but Sorry. is found not guilty on all charges relating to Lucy Blackman, which blew my goddamn mind. That felt to me like Japan being like, all right, Tim Blackman, we want justice for your daughter, but we don't want you to be right. You're the one who showed up telling us we don't know how to do our jobs. And it's like, the guy didn't get convicted, so you clearly don't. But in April 2007, the case went to appeal, and Obara was found guilty of dismembering and abandoning Lucy's body. And at that point, his life sentence was determined to be irreversible. So he will never get out of prison. Yeah, damn, damn straight. Which Tim... Lucy's father brings up a good point. Even before this happened, even if she had not ever gotten any justice for what happened to her, she 
brought justice to all of these other victims and got him off the streets, which that's not nothing. No, he would have continued to do this without a doubt. Absolutely. So in that way, I feel like Tim's actions, it's kind of like argue with the results. Like he got the fucking job done. I also want to give a shout out to um, the women that went through watching their own videos with the police woman and that stood trial because I don't know if he would have been convicted without them standing trial. And that seems like literally the hardest thing in the world to do is to relive something like that, like re-upping that trauma that you didn't even fully know was there, but you kind of knew was like, that's so heavy and hard. And I just want to give props to those women. Yeah. And so at the end, for some reason, the part where the Japanese detective goes to England to visit Lucy's grave, that like broke me a little bit. Cause like throughout all of this, they're kind of like all of these detectives are really like matter of fact. And they're like, well, that's just how we do it in Japan, baby. And like not showing a ton of emotion. And then finally at the end, the one like, I mean, there's a couple of the detectives they interview who were legitimately like trying their best. Is that the same one that like leaves flowers every year where she was found? Yeah. Yeah. That was really. I like that. Yeah. Part. But that's where it ends. Like, it's hard to say this documentary has a happy ending, but sort of like. I mean, he's off the streets. Yeah. Because like, sometimes you watch these things and they don't find a guy. They don't find anyone or they find someone and we're all just like, yeah, he probably did it. But also he owns an Arby's now and he's doing fine. Yeah, I think it's a best case scenario for how this, I mean, no, best case would be she was alive. But yeah, best you know case is, is obviously this documentary doesn't exist. But yeah, but I'm there is some justice found. Yeah. And I like the way the story is handled. Again, they don't try and stretch it out to increase views. It's an hour and 20 minutes, which is about as long as any documentary needs to be. Yeah. They have clips of the sister, but she clearly didn't want to be like a big part of the documentary and they didn't seem to push that, which I respected. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it's really well done. It reminds me a lot of the documentary we covered last week, which is American murder, the family next door, which covers the Chris Watts, uh, family annihilation, I guess is the right way to put it. He killed his wife and his two kids. And it's kind of the same thing. They're both Netflix documentaries. And the thing that stands out about both of them is there's no narrator. Like there's no one trying to be like, hey, I'm the guy who put this together and I'm the one who's oh, going to solve this case. I think I like that. Yeah. I think I like the lack of narrator. I like it a whole lot because it, it- lets the story be the main focus as opposed to the person telling the story. I mean, I don't like voiceover and narrative films either. Cause I feel like it's usually lazy unless you're really using it for something. Yeah. Um, like casino or whatever, which I think has too much voiceover. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you're telling me you got more than one guy. What? In casino, there's a, a voiceover narration by like more than one character. Oh yeah. It's that's like, too much. They sound similar. Yeah. I don't like that. Um, but yeah, no, I, as much as I could enjoy a documentary about something like this, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not, I mean, no true crime documentary is going to be a fun watch. Well, that's not true. Like we covered 
like the the Pez documentary. That's a lot of fun. But yeah. that's crime of a different sort. When you get into crime like this, you shouldn't have fun watching no. a documentary like this. I you should have, have my... fun listening to us talk about it. So I think that's our episode, right? Yeah. We did it. Jessica, thank you so much for doing the pod. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love, I love to do the pod. What do we have to plug before we get out of here? This feels like the appropriate time to do plugs. We just talked about <laughs> 400 or so horrific sexual assaults, some of them murders. I have a show November 10th at the Sardine in San Pedro. It will be my second return to comedy of the year after I tried that in February and then had face surgery that wrecked me for a bunch of months. Tickets are on sale now. Check the Instagram, Adam Todd Brown on Instagram, and I'll have the ticket links there so you can come watch me tell jokes and listen to music. And also I'm doing Samantha Jane's show November 17th, the following week, Comedy Go-Go at the El Cid. Nope, not the El Cid, at El Cid. Because here's the thing, L means the. So it's not the, the Cid, it's just El Cid. Hey, Jessica, what do you got to plug? I haven't been to El Cid in years. Um, I got a bunch of little shows coming up. I have like a show a week for the next few weeks. So if you just check out my Instagram uh, it is now Jess I Can't Singer, because my last name is Singer. I don't get it. And I can't sing. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, if you don't read it that way, it looks like Jessica N.T. Singer, but, you know, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's fine. People it's figure fine. it out. I would, I would, yeah, if you're uh, in the L.A. area, I have a show in the O.C. coming up, too, so if you're a little further south and that's easier for you. Um, check it out. Oh, uh, and I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Jessica, say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>